We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Twenty minutes a day. 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome back to an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast, along with Packers Wire. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. My ho or my co-host is the one and only Paul Brettle. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettle. Paul, it is great to be back chatting with you. I wish it were a victory Tuesday as we're talking. Unfortunately, it is not. How are uh, how are you doing outside of the uh, the the disgusting loss in Las Vegas? Yeah, football aside, I'm excellent as always. Always happy to join you to talk Packers football, Andy. But I know we'll get into it here. But oof, goodness, oof. that was ugly. Oof is probably the the best way to put it. Uh, a, a couple years ago with Nathaniel Hackett, the keyword was yeet. This year, it's just <laughs> oof. We're going from yeet to oof. It's not great. Um, I actually want to start out rather simple and just kind of some house cleaning items to start off with. We did have some transactions that took place on Tuesday. So go over those first. It was basically the reverse of the transactions that happened on Monday. Justin Hollins is back on the active 53-man roster. Patrick Taylor is off of the 53-man roster. I think my guess is your assumption is probably the same as mine, that he ends up back on the practice squad. He could get claimed. He could end up with another team. I don't think that's probably going to happen. Um, and it probably just ends up that he's back on the practice squad. Did this surprise you at all that they went back to Hollins and, and released Taylor? Or did you kind of maybe see this coming? Ah, uh, yeah, I was I was definitely a little bit surprised. I think from the edge rusher perspective, we got Gary on a larger snap count. Um, Hollins in the Detroit game, he only played 13 snaps as it was. And throughout the season, according to PFF, he's recorded two pressures. Like he is the fifth guy in that room. You don't see a ton of edge rusher rooms from a rotation standpoint, even though it's heavily moved around, go to that fifth guy. And so when it comes to making roster space, that move made sense, you know, not just with a rebuilding Packers team, but really any team. When you're talking at the back end of a position group, you always take upside. And Hollins is a veteran on a one-year deal. 
um, again, hasn't, along with several other members of the edge pressure room, hasn't been consistent in that regard. So the the move that they made to originally move on from him made sense. Um, I'm a little surprised they brought him back because, you know, Eric Stokes is on the pup list. They're going to have to add him back to the 53-man roster at some point if, you know, Luke Tenuta still on IR, you know, if they ever want him back as an option as, as tackle for depth, he's going to have to be added. So I thought that, you know, Patrick Taylor, especially with the bye week upcoming um, and then going into Denver, which just going to guess could be a prime opportunity to add Stokes back. I guess that's where my mind was in terms of how they're going to finagle the roster. So yeah, definitely a little bit surprised that they went back to Justin Hollins. Again, nothing says that when that time comes, he can't be the guy that they move on from at that point. Also, Safety Zane Anderson, healthy scratch the first two games, uh, been uh, uh, injured the last three games. So another name to watch in that regard. But uh, Patrick Taylor, he's outsnapped Emmanuel Wilson by a mile this year in regards to kind of that third running back role. But again, they put a Wilson on this roster because they like his upside. They knew that there wasn't going to be, you know, Taylor's the better special teams contributor at this moment, which is why he's been elevated. They knew that from the beginning. Um, they knew that this was going to be almost a redshirt-like season for him to a degree. You know, he's getting some snaps in there. But, you know, so choosing Taylor over Wilson, even though he's seen more snaps, again, back end of the roster position, you go with the youth, you go with the upside, you go with the potential. That's what they're doing at running back. Yeah, I think that that second part definitely makes sense with keeping Emmanuel Wilson around. I think this is hopefully also a very good sign for Aaron Jones that they're expecting him to be back and healthy by the time they get back from the bye with two more weeks of rest that they don't need a fourth running back on the roster, which makes sense at that point to release Patrick Taylor and just start the process of getting him back on the practice squad. Hopefully slightly surprised. Like you said that they just brought back Hollins. I thought maybe that would have been the roster spot where you bring up Stokes eventually. And like you said, it still could be down the road, but it'll be interesting to see how that roster math plays out. There's a couple different things that they could do. As you mentioned, Zane Anderson could be a candidate too, where once he's healthy and they don't have the injury settlement that they'd have to do anymore, they could just go in a different direction there. A lot of different things that Green Bay could do at this point in time. But at this at this time, they bring back Hollins, they release Taylor, and then they'll have to do some more roster math in the future if they ever want to bring Patrick Taylor. I know there's some question of, all right, now that he was on the active roster and now he's back on the practice squad, if they get him there, do you get three more practice squad call-ups? And as far as I can tell, the answer is no, they do not get three more practice squad call-ups. They still would have to bring him back to the active roster if they want to play him again. So I'm sure much more roster gymnastics to come. Also around the NFC North, uh, we did find out that Justin Jefferson is going to go on IR. The Lions are just laughing their way to first place in the division, like rather easily at this point, it feels like. Uh, Bears, Vikings, and Packers not exactly uh, having the greatest of seasons in the world. This is not going to help the Vikings cause. And you got to start wondering if like, do they start looking more towards the future? Kirk Cousins in his last year, Justin Jefferson's on IR. They've got one victory. But more importantly, when Green Bay faces Minnesota in a few weeks from now, they will not have Justin Jefferson at wide receiver, and that will be a big loss for the Vikings. Yeah, hundred percent. It goes without saying. We saw it. Uh, I think week one of last year. You know what he's capable of. He does it basically on a weekly uh, uh, performance, so on. So yeah, definitely a big loss for Vikings in that one. Big time. We also had Matt Lafleur talk on Tuesday. Nothing too crazy to take away. You could really tell that they're searching for an identity for this team and trying to figure out something that they can make work. That was evident in his post game presser. Was evident again in uh, in Tuesday's press conference. That maybe a couple big takeaways. He did say he hopes to have, he, he actually said he hopes like hell that Aaron Jones is going to be back 
uh, on that uh, on you know when they face the the Broncos in a couple weeks. So hopefully that's a good sign. They, he also said they were hopeful. You could tell he was being a little bit cautious with his wording, but hopeful that they would potentially get Quay Walker and Darnell Savage back for that game. You know, he, as he mentioned, it's still two weeks away and a lot can happen. At minimum, it sounds like they weren't severe season-ending injuries, which is a good sign there for those two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Darnell Savage, uh, he's still riding the roller coaster a little bit, but in terms of the the intensity, the flying around the football field in that regard, you know, definitely a different version of him that we're seeing this season. Uh, I mean, there was one play last uh, or Monday night against the Raiders. He unfortunately didn't make the play in the backfield, but he shot through uh, the defenders at the line of scrimmage and was there. Obviously, what matters is you take him down, but we're seeing him uh, you know, play with a little more, a little, little faster this season. And then Quay Walker, he's been all over the place as well. And without Devondre Campbell at linebacker currently, you know, Packers have relied, had to rely on Isaiah McDuffie, Eric Wilson. So goes without saying, but having those two available is going to be really important. Yeah, it would be nice if they could go into Denver with those two inside linebackers, especially. I still wonder, and, and Matt LaFleur was asked also about the Preston Smith on Devontae Adams play. And he basically said they have checks to get out of that. He didn't go as far to say as like somebody made a mistake in not checking out of it, but you got to think no Devondre, no Quay Walker, no Darnell Savage on the field at that point. Probably the guys that would check out of that play aren't in the game. And, and that I'm sure goes a long way into staying out of some of those disadvantageous positions. Devondre's a veteran. He knows all the calls. Quay knows all the calls. Savage is another guy that can do that too. So with all three of those guys out, it just makes some of those things very, very difficult and you can get yourself in disadvantageous situations. So going into Denver, if they could at least have a couple of those guys, that would be really, really big mm -hmm. for this team. As far as just going back to the identity on offense, you know, you kind of wrote, um, you know, the inability to throw deep. I know you also kind of tweeted about, you know, just kind of using some of the weapons and they need to go and you probably look at using Christian Watson more than just like the deep guy. I don't think anyone wants this to turn into MVS 2.0 or it's or Corey Bradford 3.0 or whatever you want to call it at this point where it's just a deep threat. You want to be able to use him like you did in that Philadelphia game where Jordan Love hit him on a crosser and he did all the heavy lifting after that. Those are the things where you want to use him. I, I want to start with the let's go with the weapons. I don't I don't feel right now like Green Bay has a great feel themselves for how to use and utilize all of the weapons on this roster. And I use weapons maybe a little bit easily there, like maybe, uh, you know, whatever, but um, you know, lackadaisical, but they, they have to figure out a way to put all of their players in the positions that they can succeed. You mentioned the Christian Watson one. I don't think Luke Musgrave has been, you know, and I think part of this is his own volition and maybe not being in the right spots when he's supposed to be too, but I want to see him stretching the field a little bit more in the seam. And we've seen Jordan and him have some trouble connecting on those. It just feels like everything's just a bit disjointed right now. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to describe it. You know, like looking back at that Lions game, the start of it, obviously things didn't go well, but you know, that's one of the best run defense units in football. Packers are struggling in that regard. They had some injuries in the secondary. If there's a weak point in that Lions defense, like that's the area to attack. So when the Packers came out with six straight passing plays, you know, whether you think that's the approach or not, they certainly didn't execute it. You can at least, you know, pinpoint the thought process, why they're yep. doing this, what they're trying to take advantage of. And again, didn't work out. You can argue whether that's the way to go or not, but you can at least see the thought process. 
in the passing game specifically against the Raiders, I don't know what was trying to be accomplished. The pendulum swung back in the other direction in terms of trying to establish the run game, which says the state of the run game because it kind of felt like they did, but Dylan still averaged under four yards per rush. But the passing game was that part was just really odd. Like you mentioned, Christian Watson used a ton just on vertical um, uh, vertical routes down the field. And Matt LaFleur has talked about it. He's he's talking about how smart of a player is, how he can step in and fill in any of the three wide receiver roles. He can run a variety of routes, but we didn't see him in that capacity. Luke Musgrave had seven targets. That's fantastic. His longest play was eight yards. Why were they all so close to the line of scrimmage? Uh, Patrick Taylor had more targets in the first half than Dobbs and Watson combined. And I think in part that's a product of Aaron Jones being such a late scratch. I'm guessing those plays were designed for Aaron Jones. But again, that goes back to, and you can't scrap the entire game plan, you know, a day before, two days before, you know, kickoff. But that goes back to the lack of timely adjustments that we've seen from this team. You know, it's great that they come out of the second half or start the second half on fire, how they're so good in the third quarter, but it can't take you that long to get to that point where those adjustments are being made. They were down three scores to the Saints, down three scores to the Lions. If the Raiders are an average team, they're probably down three scores to the Raiders in that game too. Good point. That's way too late in the game. In part, that's on coaching, but also I think that's a product of the youth and inexperience that they have. Jordan Love this past week talked about how the you know, the offense as a whole, the pass catchers, they've struggled with unscouted looks in games. They've struggled with physicality that defenses bring in games to them. And I think a lot of that is just experience because defenses, obviously, they're going to make adjustments just like the offense. They're going to throw different looks at you. And as a first-year player or even a second-year player like Dobbs and Watson from a snap perspective – they, they don't have a ton of snaps. They're like maybe just approaching Romeo Dobbs like year one, you know, in terms of if you played a full NFL season, like they're still very inexperienced. There's different looks, different things that defenses are going to do to them. And so I think that's a product of their uh, lack of adjustments or lack of effective adjustments early on in games as well. But you know, to circle back to the passing game perspective, you know, they didn't get the ball in the playmakers hands, you know, like they should have uh, the, Love felt the game plan felt like it handcuffed him to a degree. Like Jordan Love entered the game top five in pass attempts of 20 plus yards, top five in pass attempts of 10 to 19 yards. But early on in the game, they were trying to, there was a lot of throws to tight ends and running backs in the flat. Was that a product of, again, the game plan they had constructed where they thought Aaron Jones would be on the recipient? Is it because the offensive line got bullied by Detroit and now they're going up against Max Crosby? So they won the ball out of his hands. You know, is it because love's just been efficient on those downfield attempts and they're trying to emphasize more, Hey, take what's there. But it just, you know, it was just a stark contrast from what we had seen from them. Love looked uncomfortable back there. There was no rhythm. Uh, even the play action, like it didn't feel like it was building off of what they had established in the run game. Like, like you said, everything about this was, was completely disjointed and they had, they just don't have that identity. There's no go-to player that they can lean on when they need a boost. There's no go-to concept that Matt LaFleur has established that they can run when they got to move the chains. It's just, it's like, they're just kind of picking one play after the other and kind of hoping that it works out. 
It's like in Madden where you, instead of like calling something from the playbook, you just have them generate the random play. Yeah. Well, yeah, just throw the random play. Whatever's next, we'll run that. It, it almost feels that that disjointed at times. I thought against the Lions, you know, obviously you have those first few drives. Things don't go according to plan. Then you're down 24 to three, and then you are handcuffed as to what you can do. And you're just so you know far behind the eight ball at that point. The Lions know what's coming. They are dictating terms, and that's a really difficult thing to do. And they're a good defense. The Raiders aren't a good defense. They're missing defensive backs. You have, uh, you're within the game. You're within what? Seven points through the entirety of the game. Did they, they never got down double digit scores. I don't think either way. It was like, it was within reach the entirety of the mm-hmm. game, if nothing else. Um, and they just never got anything going from a rhythm standpoint. And that's, what's so odd and perplexing. And I know they, they kind of try to get the run going and they, did a little bit at least they they continued to attempt the run but nothing else seemed coherent they like early in in Matt LaFleur's career you would see things baked in where they would do something early in games and then work something off of it later in games and there would be like this grand plan at times at least it felt like of what they were trying to get to and how it was going to like marry concepts together and right now i it's really tough to like we're, we're almost like the uh, it's always sunny on Philadelphia, like try like Charlie trying to pinpoint things together and just like <laughs> trying to figure out something that's working here. And it's like, I don't I don't see any cohesiveness between anything that I can point to that I can feel that there's like any tangible evidence of. And that's why just this disjointedness of this off, like this, like you said, disjointed is just seemingly the perfect word right now. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And it's not just the, you know, what they're asking them to do in terms of putting them in positions to be able to make plays on the ball. But some of those plays too felt just like overthinking and you have an offense that is already struggling to execute on the, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of the straightforward details of the blueprint. And now they're, you know, you're asking Tucker craft to come across the formation to one-on-one block Max Crosby. Like that's, that's a lose, lose, you know, the, the Christian Watson run and play. It's so, you're already struggling as blockers and now you need more blockers to execute that play effectively. Like even just little things like that, it's almost, you know, too, I don't know if too complex is the right term, but it is is. almost too much for what they've shown that they can handle it this time. Yeah. It there's time that the Christian Watson run is such a perfect example because like on, on the simplest runs, you're seeing three, four Raiders shoot through, you think a long developing stretch handoff to Christian Watson where you need to execute like seven blocks perfectly like that, that's probably not the right play to go to. Even if it's like, even if you see it and you're Matt LaFleur and you're like, oh man, we got it. Like they have the wrong defense to defend against this and this is money. Yeah. On paper, it might be money. Uh, in, in reality, nobody's hitting the attention to detail or like hitting their blocks long enough or like efficiently enough to be able to run something like that. And that was like, that felt like a drive killer. As soon as that play happened, you come back with the third down screen, which I also didn't like it. Just there there's, it's almost just like you said, it's too much. It's too complex at this point. And you almost need to just scale it back, figure out the basics. What are a handful of concepts that this team can do really well? You can't dumb it down enough where the other team knows what's coming, but you can't have it complex enough where you're like outsmarting yourself and just running plays that are doomed before they even begin. 
Yeah, it, you know, Matt Lafleur said after the the Lions game, the defense had to change. I think he used the word philosophical. Their philosophical approach on defense, not be so rigid, was another term he used. You know, the offense is going to have to do some of that, looking in the mirror as well. And you you just alluded to it. You know, whether it's football or sports in general, a lot of times when things are going wrong, it's taking a step back and it's going back to the basics. What are the core elements? What are the basics of the Matt LaFleur offense that it's trying to accomplish? Going back and making sure that you're hammering those details down correctly, doing those little things correctly, showing in games that you can do those things correctly, and then building off of that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Packer fans? It is time that you make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. If you guys know anything about me whatsoever, you know that I love pizza, that every time the Packers win, I have a victory pizza. And what you should also know is that victory pizza is from Little Caesars. I This is no joke. Little Caesars, by far and away, my favorite pizza. What you can do is you can order online during their Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday. And then you can get ready for football and fun choose your favorite little caesar's pizza pick the toppings you crave either way you win for me i have the same order every single time i'm going with their hot and ready pizza pepperoni no questions about it and more importantly than anything else always 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 get the crazy bread it is in my opinion the best food that you can get on the market i'm not joking i love crazy bread love 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 crazy bread get it every single time you win when you get crazy bread and speaking of winning Literally everyone scores with convenient delivery or their in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the game, and always get your victory pizza from Little Caesars. You won't regret it. Pizza, pizza. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way? In college, I personally dealt with an addiction that was tough to get over. And while my mind kept telling me to do the right things and I wanted to do the right things, it was always hard trying to make the right choices in real time. What I eventually found out was that therapy can help you figure out what's holding you back and how to work for yourself instead of against yourself. Therapy has helped me with my past struggles and helped make me a better person today for my friends and my family. Therapy has helped me learn my trigger points, my destructive habits, and what positive steps to take to ensure that those negative behaviors turn into positive ones. If you're even thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be catered to your schedule, and flexible to your individual needs. Make your brain your best friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash pack a day. 
Hello friends, today we're brought to you by Manscaped who has taken a step up from Balloween to bring your face the cleanest shave it's ever seen. So this season, no need to toil in trouble. Manscaped's all new handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble. Featuring a compact design and next gen skin safe technology, the handyman was designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Get the sweetest treat this Halloween by going to manscaped.com and using code packaday for 20% off plus free shipping. I recently picked up Manscaped's new handyman and friends it is amazing. There are so many incredible aspects, but the fact that it has one guard that can trim to 20 different beard lengths is a game changer. Their skin safe technology is legit and getting through a full shave without any nicks and cuts gives me all the confidence in the world to go for that smooth, close shave. Oh, and you can use it for wet or dry use as well. So this amazing device does absolutely everything. Right now you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code packaday at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code packaday. For a look as sweet as candy, get yourself the handyman from Manscaped. It's finally football season, which means... It's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using Prize Picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Totally agreed. You also had a uh, a piece again out there of, of the issues with Green Bay's ability to throw deep. Um, before I let you just kind of take the floor on that, I think that that's a, a huge part of this. And I, I talked about this a little bit a, a couple times already, but you have an offense that can't run the football and you have a, an offense that can't throw the ball deep and just everything just comes so jam packed in the middle of the field. Like there's only so many things as a play caller that you can go to. I think that's why they're starting to do more screens and do some of this stuff. Cause it's like, if we're going to like try to spark something or get something going where every time we throw deep, it's inefficient. Every time we run the ball, it's inefficient. Like what's left at that point. That's I think why you're seeing a little bit more of this offense that doesn't seem to have the identity, but talk a little bit more about their inability to throw deep. Yeah. Uh, for what the reasons you mentioned, can't run the ball, can't throw deep defenses literally have nothing to fear. Uh, against this offense. Jordan Love is, I believe, completed six of 24 pass attempts on 20 plus yards. PFF charted five of those uh, total pass attempts, not just the completions, but total pass attempts is even being catchable by the Packers receiver. That's the third fewest in football. You know, it's it's inaccuracy on Love's part. Again, going back to the young pass catchers, there's a detail aspect of it, a precision aspect of it as well, of you know maybe not being precisely where they need to be or at the right time that's uh, contributing to that aspect. But the the current issues that they're experiencing, and you know, they're I feel like they're magnified compared to 2022 because of who you have at the quarterback position currently. But the first nine weeks of last season, 
you know, week 10, the Dallas game, Christian Watson's breakout. But the first nine weeks of last season, they were playing musical chairs along the offensive line. Christian Watson missed time. Romeo Dobbs missed time. There was no deep element that the Packers had early on in the season. They were, you know, not as efficient um, in, in the ground game either. Defenses start shrinking the field. As you mentioned, it cloudies up, muddies up things over the middle. And from a schematic standpoint, there's only so much you can do when you can't run the ball, when you can't beat the defense over the top. You know, uh, success on the run game is obviously a great way to, you know, help open up the passing game. But I think a lot of what's going to help this offense is, you know, love being able to connect with Christian Watson or Luke Musgrave, Jaden Reed, whoever it ends up being, pick someone. But the Packers have to show they've shown that they're at least willing to take those shots, but they got to show that they can connect on them to start forcing the defense to back off a little bit. That's going to help with spacing underneath, going to help the run game. And not only is that going to create big playability for Watson or Musgrave or who's ever getting those targets, that creates opportunities for everyone else within the offense. It takes you know some of that. It takes takes the burden off of everyone to a degree. And again, looking at last season, week ten on Watson's breakout game, he was healthy. Defenses started to play this Packers team a little bit differently at that point, and it freed up others to make plays. So, you know, uh, all eyes on the run game, understandably so, but that's a big, big part of what's missing right now. And just the football's football's intertwined, just the the negative trickle-down effect that that has to the rest of the offensive line, the run game, everything. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. You take care of the fundamentals up front, block a little bit better. All of a sudden, you're running a little bit better. All of a sudden, play action works a little bit better. All of a sudden, you're getting better deep looks downfield. You're completing more deep balls down the field. You get that. Now, all of a sudden, the middle of the field opens up more. Now, the intermediate passing game is working better. Now, that's working better. Now, you go back and like now they're backed up, and now the run game works better, and just everything starts clicking. But you got to do the basics. You got to eat your vegetables and then you can have your desserts after, but they got to be better in every phase and running the football and hitting their deep shots. A huge part of that. Any other thing on the off anything else from the offensive side of the ball that you want to go over before we jump to the defense? No, I think that's, that's really the big parts of it right now. And I guess I'll just (laughs) add this. It, it feels like coach speak when Matt LaFleur is up there and says, you know, all 11 got to be better. I got to reevaluate what I'm doing, putting the guys in position. And yeah, I guess to a degree that is, but it's true too. Like all 11 guys have to be better. Like there isn't, and that's part of the issue with lacking the identity. Like there isn't this one thing that they have right now to be able to just to, to lean on and to, to hang their hat on when times are tough. It, Again, it's coach speak, but literally all 11 players, they got to be better right now. Uh, Love has to improve, but it's not like that he's had this perfect environment around him either. I would even take it a step further and being like, while it's like, it's everyone doing their job a little bit better. You also don't have like, and, and no offense to the player, but like, it's not like you had a Royce Newman this week where it's just like, boom, like that guy is just terrible and you get him off the field. Like every, everyone on that offense is is good enough to an extent, right? Like whether it's Jordan Love, AJ Dillon, you know, the, you know, Luke Musgraves, Jaden Reeds, Christian Watsons, Romeo Dobbs, the offensive line, all of those guys. And maybe we could make arguments about Rashid Walker and we can have the Josh Myers conversation. I'm not saying everyone's great. I'm not saying everyone's an ideal starter, but I think all 11 of those guys are capable NFL players. There's not like just one player that you're like, oh, that guy's brutal. Get him out of there. It's just like everyone if they can just play a little bit better, it's going to go a long way into making everyone else look a lot better. And that's where it needs to be right now. It's, it's, it is everyone doing their 111th. I don't think it's any one thing. I don't think it's any one person, but it's everyone 
mean, their job, as Matt LaFleur mentioned, you have one guy that misses one assignment on a play and it blows up everything. I do think like, was it Jenkins that got beat on the final play? I haven't looked back at the all 22 yet, I but recall. I don't know who won inside. I think it was Tillery who won inside. Uh, and I think it may have been on Jenkins, but don't quote me on it. By the way, like, Watson's open deep uh, initially. And if love has the ability to step into that throw, we might be talking about Jordan love and this Packers offense, making an awesome mm-hmm. touchdown and that and winning the game and being three and two right now. And how different does that feel? But one missed block changed everything. And I'm not saying maybe the throw is missed. Maybe Amik Robertson makes amazing throw who knows, but if that is the alternate universe, like, and he does complete that pass because of one more picked up block, it's a totally different day today. So it, 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 sometimes it's not always the one guy you'd expect. Sometimes it's somebody. And I think that's a big issue too, is there's not one player also that you can just count on right now and be like mm-hmm. David Bakhtiari, where you can set it and forget it and be like, well, that's one spot. We just don't have to worry about that guy's going to do his job every single play. And we don't even have to think about it. They don't have that. They have a bunch of guys where it's just kind of a, a crapshoot every single play of like, what are you going to get? And that can cause a lot of chaos on offense, which is what we've seen. Uh, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. I know you touched base on some of the defensive adjustments that they made. I want to be very clear here. Nobody is crowning the Packers defense or saying extend Joe Barry. Nobody is being like, man, job done. This defense is golden and ready to go. They are top five defense. Like, no. However, if we're placing blame uh, in, in, in spreading things around, I think we would mostly argue that the defense has less blame to go around this week and maybe even on the season so far when you look at their overall. And I'm, again, I'm not saying it's been great. They've had two poor performances uh, against Atlanta, especially in that fourth quarter, and a pretty bad performance against the Lions. But this was a winning performance by Joe Barry and the Packers defense. I get there's still those mind-numbing moments where Preston's in cover. We, we know the moments. We all get them. We all see them. But they allow 14 legitimate points, three more that they held off of a turnover. Tough for me to to be too upset with this overall defensive performance in this one. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, at the end of the day, they did what they had to do. And coming off the performance against the Lions, I already alluded to it, Matt Fleur said the philosophical change, be less rigid. You know, this was a, I don't want to say aggressive, but this was a less passive Green Bay Packers defense than what we've seen. Um, They had more defenders closer to line of scrimmage, the cornerbacks more often were challenging the wide receivers. And that's what, that's what they had to do against this Raiders team. They held Josh Jacobs to three point, like rewind. It's Monday at five o'clock. You tell me Josh Jacobs averages 3.3 yards. Devontae goes four for 45. Like I'm like, all right, Packers won this one. Like they did what they had to do. And you know, the, the players had a better performance. Barry put them in better positions. Again, had guys closer to line of scrimmage, helped in the run game, but uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, he loves the middle of field. He loves the underneath routes. Again, more guys there helps muddy that up. Um, and then with Devontae Adams, we saw on, on several occasions, because it's not as if Jair was on him a ton, but saw similarly on on several occasions what they did uh, against Justin Jefferson and the Vikings last season with safety help over the top, like directly over the top, basically a double team uh, to help to limit you know, what Devontae Adams can do. So a positive, of course, in that regard, and, and ultimately held them to 17 or 14 points from the defense's perspective. But the next big question, because we've seen this throughout the Joe Barry era, some tweaks here and there where, you know, things look a little better. Can they maintain that? Will they continue to do that? I mean, that's the right. Yeah. History says no, but you know, that's, that's the million dollar question. And 
as you said, it was far from perfect. There's things that got to be better. Like they had three crucial third down sacks, but they didn't really generate a ton of consistent pressure. Like Jimmy G had time in the pocket. You know, Pro Football Focus had his pressure rate at 25%. If you put that in the context of the NFL season right now, I think that ranks 33rd. Like overall, they came up with some sacks when it mattered on third down, but overall, and you can go back and watch, there was times where they even I, I, there was one play where Darnell Savage blitzed. I think you know, one of the linebackers blitzed on it. They just weren't getting there consistently. So that was something that could improve upon. You know, slant screens in that game just gave them a bunch of fits. So far from perfect, but at the end of the day, it's a results-based business, results-based game, and the defense put the Packers in position to win the game. They just couldn't come through. This is a very bad blitzing team. You bring up a great point. There's not many people. I think we all had the idea of maybe Quay was going to be a good blitzer. He Mm -hmm. more often than not has not been. Uh, Eric Wilson has had a couple moments here and there, but it's not like, again, nobody's fearing Eric Wilson, the blitzer. McDuffie's not. Keyshawn Nixon is not really like they just, they don't have that guy that you can bring off the edge or in the middle that you're super, you know, uh, afraid of. Darnell Savage is not. Yeah. It's, it's disappointing because you have to basically get home with your guys. And when they do it, like you said, it looks good. And they did it on some key downs, but it's not consistent enough. A part of that too is just constantly playing either even or from behind. Like in that situation, the the whole poo-poo platter of plays for the opposing team is on the table at all times. And it makes it really tough to defend and just get into a pure pass rush set. So Green Bay's offense, again, could help them out a little bit more, get them the lead and, and allow them to tee off a little bit more. But it just goes back to the dog chasing its tail and somebody's got to make a play. And uh, if you do so, things look good. Rudy Ford picks off a pass that leads to an offensive touchdown and Green Bay's rolling, but they couldn't keep it going. Green Bay, you know, Green Bay's defense gets them the ball right back. You get the explosive to Christian Watson. I think if they go up seven right there, I think Green Bay wins the game. Like I legitimately think Green Bay wins the game if they mm-hmm. go up seven there with a Christian Watson touchdown. Instead, you get the the horse collar. You get the you know, held on on three consecutive downs. You kick the field goal. The rest, unfortunately, was history. Last thing I want to ask you about: Brazil Douglas, I thought was pretty freaking great in mm-hmm. this game, and has been a really overall good this season. There's a couple of hiccups here and there. The was it the Lions game or the game before he allowed? It was the Lions game. There was the mm-hmm. this Florida. Um, play, and then he gets burnt on the double move that they basically set up specifically for Razul because they knew he studied tape so much and they knew that they would get him on it. Okay, that's fine. Just the way that he plays and how intense he is and his knowledge of the game. I said, if if the entire team plays like Razul in that one with the attention to detail, the study and the intensity, Green Bay wins that game by 30 points. They, and I, I, I know that's, uh you know, whatever, you know, nobody's always going to play with their, their like hair on fire, like Razul maybe did throughout the course of that game. But I just love the way that he is playing football. I don't think he necessarily always gets the credit he deserves. I really, really enjoy watching that man play football. Yeah. His, his, his aggressiveness. And I'm just going to speak to the, the, I guess, leadership side of things that he brings and knowing what everyone's supposed to be doing on that football field. And like going back to the the Falcons game, Rashawn Gary, you know, cut inside way too uh, aggressively. As we all know, Falcons get outside. It was Razul Douglas who was right on him uh, inside the five yard line that slant to Devontae Adams, Keyshawn Nixon. Like Razul Douglas was watching, knowing that Nixon should have been right there to make the play and misplayed it. Devontae makes the catch and so on. But I think that aspect of it, too, you know, outside of his his performance shows the 
the leadership that he has, the um, how he's the high regard he's held in within the locker room, the the study, the work that he puts in pre time or before the game to know exactly what everyone's supposed to be doing, where they're supposed to be doing, and then letting them know about it as well. You know, you you like you said, you can't have. There's no such thing as having too many of those types of individuals on your team. And again, that's outside of just what he's doing individually from a performance standpoint. Challenging passes, uh, sticking his nose in there to make tackles on guys. I mean, he's playing at a high level right now. And again, it's, it's the intangible stuff too, that he brings to this defense. Yeah. I know Eric Stokes is coming back and all that stuff. Like don't move him anywhere. Just keep him, keep him doing what he's doing. He knows exactly where he's supposed to be. He's like the one mostly consistent player that it feels like green Bay has on defense right now. Um, I don't want to see that guy off the field or moved around too much in any capacity. Those are difficult decisions. They're going to have to figure out how to use Jair and Stokes and Valentine and Nixon and everyone else. But he's playing a really nice brand of football. And I'm, I'm, that's one thing that I am uh, very much enjoying at the moment on a team that isn't always the most enjoyable at the moment. So kudos to Razul. Any final thoughts? Anything else you wanted to get to that we didn't get to? Yash Nyman blocking field goals or uh, anything we didn't cover? No, we hit on the big stuff, I guess. Uh- parting thoughts on this goes back to the offensive line from a, a pass protection standpoint. Cause obviously we know the lions have a really good front. Um, the Raiders have Max Crosby, but, and the front as a whole for the Raiders, I thought played, played well or, or better than what they had been throughout the season. But, you know, it, I just wonder how that's impacting what they're doing on offense too. You know, I referenced it at the beginning with kind of their game plan and not relying so much on the quick passing game. Was that a product of, how they performed and then going up against a a Max Crosby type player. And there's that trickle down effect. Like love had six, what is it? Six touchdowns, no interceptions. The first two games, like he had time. And we talked about this from uh, going through training camp and stuff, you know, maybe in part knowing he's not going to get hit, but his, his ability at that time to know when to push the ball, when to go through his progressions, take what was available, uh, was really, really good and, and yep. stood out to me for someone who doesn't have a ton of NFL experience as a starter. And we saw that early on in the season, but as the offensive line has progressively started to struggle specifically in pass protection, you know, we're seeing a little more uh, a panic for lack of a better term, more, more balls going into windows where they shouldn't be. Um, and so I think that's just something really, really big to keep our eyes on moving forward is can they kind of bring back that stability that love did have early on in the season? Cause I think the last two games in particular, the struggles that they've had in pass protection has really had a massive impact on obviously his performance and then what that means for the offense. One of the toughest things for a young quarterback is resetting your timer based on the game that you're in and how the game is going and throughout the course of the season and just understanding of like, all right, this is a team that's beating my offensive lines, but I need to get rid of the ball quicker. Or like, oh, I do have more time. My, my guys are blocking up front. Maybe I don't have to go to that first read that's going to be three yards. Maybe I can get to my second and third that might be a little bit more explosive play. So I, I just think that 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 shot clock for him and that timing and that rhythm, like you said, the offensive line plays a huge part, but he also is still learning as to how to change that play clock on the fly depending on what's happening in the game, which I think will come with just a little bit more experience. Before I let you go, speaking of that offensive line, I've been thinking about this. I don't think anything changes anything all that much, but any changes you would make to the offensive line at this point, or would you be more inclined to keep it status quo? 
I think for the time being, I'd keep it a status quo. One, I think just for a continuity standpoint uh, and stability, something that there hasn't been a lot of this season. And I think that's just a really important but also underrated aspect to offensive line play. And then also, too, going back to, all right, what's the – we want to win games, but what are we trying to do here this season? I think we got to see – and the Packers need to see as much of, you know, Rasheed Walker at left tackle and what they have there. John Runyon's entering, you know – a uh, free agent season uh, upcoming, you know, Zach Tom, I think his most valuable or most value that he can provide is at the tackle position versus maybe being at center. You have Nyman, you know, is that your best five, I guess, to be yeah. determined. But so for me, for the continuity, for just seeing what these guys can do in, in some, with some, hopefully some stability around them in their positions from an evaluation standpoint, I think for me, that's more important, at least at this time, um, than any sort of changes. That's a really good point. I didn't even really kind of think of it that way. It, it would be interesting, I guess, in just kind of even thinking in those terms, if it did get to the point where you wanted to evaluate your future, if anything, Runyon's probably the guy that you take out and maybe try a Sean Ryan at some point, simply because Runyon isn't under contract and Ryan is going into next year. I'm not saying they do that yet. I don't think, and certainly don't think that's going to fix anything. But if you do ever get to the point where you want to start seeing the guys that are going to be for sure on your team next year, I'd be one that at least maybe they could look at because you're right. Walker, Jenkins, Myers, Tom, all under contract, uh, Runyon and Nyman are not. So that'd be an interesting one to kind of keep an eye on. I, like a part of me has been playing with like, do you move Jenkins? Do you try him out at left tackle? Do you put him at center? Do you put him at like, do, do you try something different there? Do you try Myers at guard instead of center just to see if something could stick there? Because just hasn't been good enough at center. Maybe he's thinking a bit too much, but uh, my ultimate point is, is the same of, I honestly don't think it matters. Like, I don't, even if it's like incrementally better mm-hmm. at best, I, I don't think it's going to change all that much. And you're probably just better off keeping guys where they are and seeing if maybe they can get some consistency with it. Yeah. Back in what May, June, you know, looking at this offensive line on paper and the depth, like the conversations that we just have are not ones that I expected we would be having at this time. No, not at all. And Bakhtiari plays a a piece of that Mm -hmm. for sure. And I think, I I still think Zach is overall playing well. He's had two really tough matchups with, and he's, I think still a little bit banged up, but with Hutchinson and Max Crosby, which is going to happen. And I think he'll learn from those, but yeah, Myers, Runyon, uh, even Jenkins, to some extent, it just, it just needs to be better all the way around. And and I think that it really, to it on its simplest terms, if they start blocking a little bit better, I think it's going to be really crazy at how quickly this, this team starts looking a lot better. You look at how, I mean, I know it's Chicago. And one of the reasons I think they were so successful against Chicago is because they don't have pass rushers and like they, he did have time, but we saw when Jordan has time and these receivers can get out and have time to get open. The offense looks pretty darn good. Um, when you have a young quarterback and young playmakers that don't have any time, yeah, it's going to look pretty ugly and they can't run the ball. It's going to look pretty ugly. So I'm with you. It starts on the offensive line and then, figure out everything from there. Paul, you are incredible. Uh, tell everyone where we can find your work, what you've been working on, anything else you want to plug. Follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brett. I'll find all my work over at Packers wire had, uh, several of the articles or topics that we discussed today, an article version over there. Also have my weekly, uh, behind the numbers article over at Packers wire as well. Kind of the key key stats figures that defined the, the Packers performance, a number of which we discussed here today. Hit subscribe on YouTube, Paul Brettel. 
Make sure you do it. I always love the behind the numbers uh, piece every single week as well. Always some fun nuggets in there. Give him a follow on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. Follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That's going to do it for us today. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better, and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.